Ladies, gentlemen, and podcast fans around the world, welcome back to Better Than Most Things with your hosts, Sean and Max. Thank you, producer Mr. E. Appreciate that. Welcome Thank back you. to the welcome episode. Everybody. Thank you. Man, this is kind of an unusual recording because usually we record more in the nighttime, but today is more the afternoon and it's a really bright, sunny day. So I'm seeing everyone in a, in a new light, so to speak, metaphorically and, and really, pretty much. You're all, I can see like your rooms now, your faces more. I didn't realize what you guys look like. For a second, I thought we all got new cameras, then I realized it's just the lighting. Well, that's something interesting about our particular group of friends. I don't think we really hang out during the day with each other. No. The sun has to go down for us to see each other, really. <laughs> that's a really, really accurate point. I never thought about that. But for sure, no, it feels, that's probably what I'm inkling on. Because, yeah, I'm sitting there like, what is different? Like, it's so weird. But it's, yeah, it's bright and sunny. <laughs> So just before the podcast, when I was preparing, I was looking on Reddit, you know, weird me. I never do that. But I saw today, I learned that I thought was funny and apropos to you guys. Um, so have you guys ever heard of the horrendous space kablooey? Uh, no. Yeah. What is that? I'll say it again. The horrendous space kablooey or the HSK. Oh, really? It's got an acronym. That's how fundamental yeah. this thing is. Okay. Yeah. This is fundamental to the universe. The horrendous space kablooey. Uh-huh. No, I've never heard of it. Okay, <laughs> I'm, just I'm me, dying just to know. I just wanted to say, I know I love saying it, and I want this. The horrendous thing. space uh, kablooey. This is the Big Bang according to Calvin and Hobbes. Awesome. Bill Watterson. Awesome. Bill Watterson, he, he basically said that the Big Bang was a b- very boring term. And so they coined the term the horrendous space kablooey. And a lot of like scientists in the community <laughs> kind of use it interchangeably. And supposedly it's been in papers and stuff every once in a while. So I thought us as... I know it seems weird, but I guess we kind of are a science podcast. We talk about a lot of science here for being, you know, stoner drunk people just shooting the shit. Yeah. And so it'd be nice if every time you say the Big Bang, we kind of go the Big Bang or, as we all know, the horrendous space kablooey. Or as scientists call it, the horrendous space kablooey. Yeah. So that's why I kept saying it, the horrendous space kablooey so much, because <laughs> I, want <it> to become, <laughs> I want it to become a thing, at least on our podcast. But I thought it was hilarious. That is fun. I like that. That's like um, whenever I – I've been trying to keep a – an eye out for stories from um, European Space Agency, ESA, because okay. I always just want to call them ESA. ESA! <laughs> yeah. I love that agency. <laughs> so speaking of uh, space and the horrendous kablooey, we were talking last episode about brains, and um, I don't remember the exact topics. I should have written them down in front of me. But uh, <laughs> it got me thinking about this other brain topic I had about um, uh, exposure to microgravity. And its effects on the human brain. Microgravity's effects on the human brain. Hmm. It's probably bad. <laughs> there are some negative aspects to it. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, exposure may cause brain swelling. So usually uh, gravi- gravity moves the fluid away from the brain. But in space, uh-huh. fluids can build up in the brain since gravity is not moving it away. Uh, that kind of makes sense. You know how they, all the astronauts, they gain like two or three inches in height because there's nothing pulling them down. So their whole body basically decompresses. Yeah. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Like almost your circulatory systems, not maybe circulatory as much, <laughs> especially in your mind. So researchers from Texas, New York, and Michigan, uh, in collaboration with NASA, NASA, MRI'd 12 astronauts. So six controls who had no time in space. And then six who had an average of uh, 171 days in space, a.k.a. microgravity. 
Space is microgravity? I thought that's no gravity. I was kind of that was another question I have. I was like microgravity. Is that because you're close to the Earth or something? Yeah, I think if you're going to the International Space Station, you're still within the or the Earth's gravity. That's what makes the orbit work. You're like circling a drain, so you're still kind of on that slope of gravity. So I assume that is considered microgravity, whereas you know, open space between planets might not. I never be. thought about that. I always just thought about weightlessness and not weightlessness. But I guess there would be a a ratio as the closer you got. Like if you were in open space, I guess your pen would fly all over the place versus microgravity. It's still going to do that, but not to a larger degree. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. And so um, they MRI'd them uh, before and after flights. And then after flights, they MRI'd them one day, one month, three months, six months, and one year after landing and mm -hmm. compared the results. And it turns out uh, the results showed an increase in cerebral spinal fluid, which is... Um, essentially a shock-absorbing fluid that protects the brain and the uh, spinal cord. Well, that can't be bad. <laughs> You're like Homer at that point, right? Yeah, you got extra fluid. Extra stuff's always good. You can take a beating. Why, I could wallop you all day with this surgical 2 by 4 without ever knocking you down. But I have other appointments. So the increase in uh, cerebral spinal fluid excuse me, cerebro spinal fluid was still seen a year after travel. Oh no. Right. Even on earth it still was building up. And here's some of the negative effects of the uh, fluid rolling around in your brain. It puts pressure on the brain called uh, intracranial pressure. Which, I have heard of that. Uh, which Not good. the side effects are headaches, blurred vision, altered levels of consciousness and vomiting. Which is not good. Okay, yeah. Another effect they found after the MRIs is that astronauts' brains increased in size. That's good. <laughs> but they got the pressure, right? Brain size is bigger, bigger and good with brain. <laughs> uh, this was due to structural changes in ventricles and white matter. So they didn't necessarily said it made them smarter. It's not like. I know. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids technology where their brain's bigger, but it just like the, the like literally almost the space between everything got bigger. So it's more it's more inflated than actually bigger, I'd say. And of course, that would probably increase the intracranial pressure, which is bad. Yeah. And so they also said exposed or excuse me, prolonged exposure to microgravity led to a structural deformity in the pituit pituitary gland that's going in the mm -hmm. real um that's hard to say honestly it's like worcestershire sauce pituitary pituitary I, I said it bad, okay it's usually hard but here's the real star of all these symptoms the thing that i knew you would key on especially if i okay. teed you up for it <laughs> all right i've teed increased brain pressure may be pushing the brain against the optic nerve which could explain right. okay why astronauts that come back to earth have poor vision problems. Oh, no. Do you remember that story? As, no. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I just teed story. you up. <laughs> was there, yeah, so was, uh, for a second, the whole I was like, segment is ruined. I know. We got to just back to post. We're done. We're not doing this ever again. All right, start this over. the last time I let you go. <laughs> no, well, when you said that, I was like, so their eyes pop out more was what I was thinking. Did I do that story? Did you do that story? No, we've talked about, we did that story somewhere else or I don't know, maybe on this one. But we've talked about um, some of the problems astronauts have when they come back, like they're two inches taller and uh, their muscles yeah, have atrophied and then they have vision problems. So now they're thinking. I don't remember vision problems. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, 
uh, this could be one of the reasons they have vision problems. Because of the pressure. Because of the pressure. Yeah. Microgravity. Dude. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, but uh, maybe when astronauts get back home, uh, immediately we go decontaminate them. Like, hey, all the viruses, you, you got none, you're good. No venoms from Spider-Man universe. And then we drill a microscopic or some type of hole in their skull just to like just to offset that pressure immediately. And then there's like a little valve or or something. They they just have to every day kind of go and then they let go. And then it kind of would reduce this intracranial pressure that just sounds like it, there's no way to just release it. Couldn't we just uh put them in some sort of carnival centrifuge? You know, and now you're spin them around and Pull that fluid out of their brain. Now you're thinking. <laughs> just smash their brain apart and then rebuild it. NASA is working closely with Barnum and Bailey to develop this technology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have an equally super scientific study as yours. Um, I guess these scientists, they wasted their time and they figured out the maximum <laughs> amount of hot dogs a man can eat in 10 minutes. Do you have the story? I have this story. Oh, man, we talked about this already. We're gonna gonna overload. Okay, cool. So you know more about it than I do. So I was actually gonna even ask you guys what do you think the number is, but you probably know. Well, we can ask Mr. E. Yeah, it is, Mr. E. What do you think the maximum amount a person can eat of hot dogs? In ten minutes. In ten minutes. That's hilarious. I can't believe we have the hot dog story. Uh, we always uh, think we're gonna have science stories, but it's always the shittier ones that we have in common. Thirty-five. Well, there's no one else to guess, so that is wrong. <laughs> uh, so the answer, the answer is 84. Oh my the, that's God. the number, right? That's your number. Well, John, right. The current world record is set at 75, but this scientist Correct. theorizes that 84 could be the actual number. Correct. So we, this actually story kind of shows we are reaching the upper echelon of what humans can do as far in this sport, because this this article kept going on like, oh. In some degree, it's almost like uh, athletes, like a football athlete from the back day versus now, like they're essentially the same, even though we are going to perform better because we have all the drugs and the science stuff. <laughs> but that being said, compared to eaters, we're, we're almost like quadrupling what they could do each year because, I mean, this sport has only been around, you know, not that many years. But they were talking about given um, like in the 1980s, they could only eat. They didn't do the number, but they, they're just like they're doubling the numbers already. Yeah, I thought that was a trip that um, it takes us 100 years to surpass some 100-yard dash record from way back when. But as far as competitive eating, man, we can we can really uh, put it down and surpass those numbers in what? Oh, pack it in, pack it in. What else did you have it about in. it? I'm curious now. I, always, I actually kind of started to like when we had the same topic because we always focus on different stuff. What did you take away from this? Oh, I liked that in order to figure out this number, this arbitrary number of 84, mine see, see, mine says 83. My article says really? 83. So I don't know. Maybe they're rounding up or something. What the fuck? They're rounding down. Um, but I found it interesting that in order to arrive at that number, he had to measure uh, several points of data, including 39 years of competitive eating history. And that's just... That yeah. blew me away. 39 years people have been doing this. I thought this was a relatively new thing, like 2000s, but apparently not. I guess in the grand scheme of sports, it kind of is a relatively new. I mean, there's probably someone out there like, you're an idiot, but like, how many new sports have been created in the last 40 years that you know of, I guess? Quidditch? I'm sure new ones. There you uh, go. I like it. 
Parisi Squares. What the fuck is that? Uh, hey, wait, that's oh, a Star Trek thing. UFC? Yes, it is. Is that a Star You son of a... I knew that. <laughs> I just, UFC? I knew that. UFC? I guess. All right, whatever. You, <laughs> Mr. I know... Frolf? Is that Frolf, right? That's what they call it? Frisbee golf? You got to stop answering. You think you're making me look dumb. I don't know. <laughs> Hippies probably invented that one. We can't take credit. Um, Scottish gunfiring. Mm. Yeah, that's a sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look it up. Yeah. Dog I was totally. actually more focused on the plasticity. They kept talking about like the plasticity of the stomach. And I took away that basically means like the stretchability yes. of the stomach and, and what it kind of can do and stuff. Hey, and you they train also it. mentioned. Yeah. Like they were saying you have to be like a trained eater to do this. Mm-hmm. But I like how they mentioned uh why 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 would plasticity be useful? Like why do we have the ability to do that? You can almost hearken it back to like the olden days of allowing carnivores to kill and eat their prey, exceeding their gut capacity on the on the odd occasion. You can almost oh. like if you've been sitting there starving, you know, if you're a hunter gatherer, all of a sudden you find a deer, you just you just gorge on it and kind of survive on that for a day or two just on that meal. But they're saying if you do this all the time, that could be, you know, not good for you, which makes perfect sense. <laughs> all these guys eat. I mean, it, of course the, the, uh, good competitive eaters, I'm sure the record holder here, let me see Joe jaws, chestnut for 75 hot dogs. I'm sure he's rail. Thin. That's awesome. Okay. I don't know. I didn't have his name or see anything about this name. That's hilarious. What was his name? Joe chestnut, Joe jaws. Is his nickname Joe Jaws Chestnut? Jaws Chestnut. Joe Jaws Chestnut lives up at the Joe Greek. Chestnut, I'm the king of eating the hot dog. You have to be thin to be in these contests. Like I can't do it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You could. I. You Actually, know what? You, I you could. I've put it away before, and uh, we, what they say the secret to these contests is is your stomach. Um, you know, if you're lucky enough, your stomach is higher in your body <laughs> and so it can expand downward if you're a thin guy so out yeah i don't know i don't know i don't know if i'm picking up uh nonsense here or what but um i feel like i got that high stomach because my gut like if i eat a lot it starts high and gets hard and then expands downward yeah. you got that high stomach energy bro <laughs> yeah i'm a smooth I'm brain stomach. high stomach motherfucker I, no i'm definitely low stomach i'll give you that Definitely low stomach. <laughs> um, the smooth one other thing, brain, I think we're, yeah, smooth brain. <laughs> yeah, no, no ridges, no nothing in there. Uh, the one other thing I took away from this is that um, I never. This is my my article. Never got like how big the hot dogs were, how much pound of food this was, and then the the end of this article even says like the time limits have changed over the years of this study. Hot dogs themselves are not strictly regulated, so in theory, one hot dog could be heavier or less than another. And then some years even have no results. So there's still a little bit of you know wiggle room here on the maximum amount of hot dogs, I'd say. Well, yeah. And at the end of the day, this is just an arbitrary number based on the best. It's a best guess based on the available data. So, they killed a dude. You didn't read that? They killed a dude. His name was Joe, Joe Jaws Diamond. Uh-huh. And yeah, they like eat until you die. And Isn't that in that's seven? That's seven, right? Or is that Saw? I guess there ones? was a guy in seven who died of the gluttony. No spoilers, yeah, guys. But, uh, <laughs> of gluttony sin, he ate. He like till he died. His stomach burst. Uh, I brought that up. So technically, you're there. 
<laughs> is that your next topic? <laughs> yep, saw. That's it. No, so I have an interesting topic here about uh, internet from space. Are you familiar? Space. Are you familiar with this project and this whole initiative? Is it about tiny satellites? Yeah, the idea is to put up a bunch of tiny satellites that would beam internet down to remote areas where uh, hard lines are hard to get to or hard to put in. Okay, okay. Because I, I, this is like fun. This is actually like remember I said I was going to do ten topics and then mm -hmm. I took one off. I did one about small satellites, although I don't know what they were for. So it depends. We might be talking about different satellites. How small are your satellites? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I can tell you their altitude. That's the real key to my story here. Oh, okay. Sorry. I think we were reading different things. Okay. Well, um, you know, it sounds like a great idea. The idea that uh, internet can now be beamed from space and could be, you know, you don't have to rely on your 4G giving out when you're in the middle of nowhere and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, that would be great. But astronomers are really pushing back against this. Because these satellites uh, will be launched around uh, at an altitude around 1,200 kilometers from the surface. Oh, is that going to clog up vision and stuff? Absolutely, that's their main oh, concern. No, that does suck. Fuck that. That's not a good. That's not. I agree with them. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the company that wants to want that wants to do this OneWeb, uh, they plan to launch 42,000 satellites into space oh my god that's at like this some, altitude that's the plot of a movie in the beginning and then will smith is like fighting off zombies at the end type of deal <laughs> don't go all 5g weird on me man come on i'm not oh you i'm not going 5g weird i'm just just i have a story uh, like that mentions 5g and so someone that will remain nameless was like 5g is the devil like come on <laughs> not the devil so um astronomers say this will lead to streaks and obstructed views for earth-based telescopes because their worst satellite altitude is a thousand kilometers or these and these are going up at 12 1200 kilometers so it's right there. there yeah yeah um and actually, this is not the first time astronomers have voiced this concern they've been bitching about this since last year when SpaceX started la launching their Starlink satellites 50 at a time. And there's actually pictures out there that have been ruined by these Starlink satellites. Those bastards. Yeah, Get out of the way of space. They currently have 540 in space right now, SpaceX. And it's the same deal. They want uh, to beam internet down. That's what theirs are for as well. I want all the benefits of that, but none of the negatives. Now, now what happens? <laughs> well, so here's the thing. SpaceX is aware of the problem. They have been, and they've been uh, experimenting with solutions to it, such as non-reflective coatings that they'll put on the satellites to help, uh, you know, so it doesn't pick up light and whatnot. Well, they're still going to be in the way, but I see what you're saying. Like, they won't bounce other bullshit. Right, but they're still going to be in the way. Yeah. And no matter how much... Uh, it, there's also something here called a sunshade, but no matter how dark you make it uh, from the sun, no matter how much you shield it from the sun's light, you're still getting light from the moon and from the surface of earth. You know, all this bounce light is still going to somewhat illuminate it in these highly, highly sensitive equipment. That's why I say we got to destroy the moon. I've been saying it. <laughs> That's your solution to everything. I'm tired of you pitching I that. I think you need <laughs> 
Like, how do you solve world hunger? I, I'm telling you, destroy the moon. It will solve that. How? I'll tell you how. We will have to build a, a, a huge workforce to destroy the moon, and that workforce will have to be fed. And we shall feed them with hope of the moon destru- destruction. Yeah, so when we destroy the moon, they will destroy all the satellites in space, and our view of space will no longer be obstruction obstructed because we won't be here because the moon killed us. So that's perfect. Yeah, I think uh, I think we solved this one. Moving on. I was actually even thinking back to your original uh, topic. What it like? What if they made? It still sucks that they're up there. There's a million of them or whatever. But if they were up there, what if there was some network where if you're let's see, you work at a observatory. You just log into satellite.com and go, hey, I'm going to look at B53-4 right now. And then that beams it to the satellites and they all kind of go, we can just make a nice little hole right where you're about to look. And then they wouldn't be there. And then once you let go, they go back to normal or something. And then I guess the amateur astronomer may be affected, but at least the maybe the professional ones. That's probably still an ignorant idea because like you're with a satellite and the when the with the depth of field of the camera i know it's still silly yeah. but maybe it, maybe it's something i don't know well yeah so i think ultimately in the long run it's probably a good thing that we're launching these satellites because mm-hmm. we've known for a long time that telescopes from earth are already obstructed by our atmosphere and uh light pollution from you know civilization around us and uh depending on where you are on the planet and blah 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 ultimately i think the best pictures and the best measurements come from uh orbiting satellites yeah that's just something we should probably just lean into and get used to and invest in or install it on the dark side of the moon maybe we shouldn't destroy the moon oh remember remember we talked about the the other side of the dark side of the moon you're a hair away moon i was about to do it but maybe not you're You've lived another day. Let's see if you have this topic. We have the same ones now. Uh, so I was reading uh, an article about uh, a new pretty much idea on how to fix lungs possibly. Like damaged human lungs can be repaired by attaching them to pigs. <laughs> Fucking this, this, ex, this, ex, this experiment shows. <laughs> every, other, every other fucking week with you. It's, oh, we can, we can regrow a human finger on a centipede and then, you know, do this and Bob's your uncle and you got a new I dick. I totally agree. Like, I don't know. I don't like every time the article starts, I'm like, here we go. There's like <laughs> a mouse, a pig, a, something's involved. I'm like, fuck, can we do it ourselves? But no, we can't. The answer is no. We can't. Oh my God. Okay. Back to this. So uh-huh. here's, here's what we're doing now. So it's a new experimental technique, and it showed that a damaged lung can be restored by sharing a circulatory system with the living pig. So somehow they attach it to, like they said, the jugular, basically, for lack of a better term. I'll get to it later on in the article. Okay. They basically attach the lung to the to the jugular somehow. And it's just a lung flapping out there in the breeze attached to a jugular of the pig. I don't have any pictures, so I'm <laughs> sure it's more complicated. I'm sure it's in a pouch like with fluid all around it and like being lovingly massaged and stuff. Do you think but he's still out in the farm? Somewhere. He's like wallowing in mud and shit, and like <laughs> he's got a lung brain attached pig. to him. Brain pig. He's like, I bet he escapes and has like the ultimate run, like breath capacity. He starts flapping <laughs> the lungs, he can fly and just. Okay, tell me more about this yeah, thing. Manpower, like, <laughs> like freezing people. Um, so this uh, technology, if you will, is trying to use the body's own self-repair mechanism to exceed the capabilities of what we currently have. Okay, so the pig's okay, so body's self-replicating system? 
to exceed. We have what it too. We like, I mean, have? that's why we, we we heal wounds and stuff. Like we do have it. Like think about like a damaged lung. Sometimes they're just damaged, like for a lot of different reasons, right? And someone's gonna die before the the lung could be repaired per se. And with current systems, um, we can. It's called EVLP, um, and it uses lung perfusion. And it basically it places the lung in a sterile dome attached to a ventilator, pump, and filters. And then the lung's temperature is maintained at a human body temperature. And a bloodless solution containing <laughs> oxygen and nutrients are circulated through it. That's something we already do. Okay, cool. Yeah, I thought that was kind of weird too. But even though that's cool, it could uh, it helps save lives and keep donor lungs stable. Too, like if someone gets an accident, we have to keep that lung alive to get to the person. But it can only be do it for eight. It can only do it for eight hours. So this new thing can definitely extend that life like a log. They because they, they did the study and they were doing it for like twenty four hours. They attached it to the pig. And since the it was able to survive longer than the eight hours they can pre, they can only do right now, the intrinsic biological repair mechanisms were starting to take place where the lungs were almost repairing themselves like a natural healing thing. Like, so like what if you die in a car accident and I grabbed your lungs? I'm like, oh man, these lungs are all are all fucky. <laughs> like I don't know why, but somehow they're fucky. Currently, I can only put them in a bag and put this weird bloodless solution in them and massage them and keep them alive for eight hours before I can put them in little jimmy over there but this one right now i could take those same lungs and attach them to a pig i don't want to say indefinitely but that's kind of what it seems like but they don't they didn't really give too many numbers you know they always kill everything but i bet you would be kind of indefinitely of some sort like you have a a, a, you have another body you have another body giving it nutrients yeah but it wouldn't be indefinitely because the goal is to stick it on there heal it for a bit and then take it off of the pig and put it back in the person Right, which your which your answer is right. Yeah. So now they could do that. Now it's like giving the lungs time to heal a little bit outside the body. It's a xenogenic process, as a cross species. You know, mm-hmm. like what was it in Star Trek? It's like I'm the the xenobiologist. Yeah, there you go. And that's yeah. So now this is a xenogenetic stuff, cross species stuff. And uh, what they did basically is um, they they took um, five lungs. No, I'm sorry, six lungs. That's right. Okay, what was that? question i do well the idea i'm I'm so curious about this because the idea that uh you take the lungs away from the host body and the lungs are not able to be cared for in the host body right so once the host body is dead in this state in this capacity the more i'm reading this is kind of more about transplant like i said like it's almost back to the thing like if you're dead Although I do agree, though, like, what if someone's lungs are fucked up for other reasons and they just still, still need a lung transplant? Like, this system probably wouldn't work if their lungs are fucked for other reasons. Well, but yeah, still, maybe it would work. I mean, you can't <laughs> like. I imagine this is um, this is any sort of uh, light scarring or some sort of natural um, uh, abrasion process, or yeah, you know, like injury process to the lungs. You're not gonna you're not gonna chop a lung in half and attach it to a pig and grow another lung. So. It's interesting that they take these organs out of people, and even if this guy died of liver failure and they're taking his lungs, they're mm-hmm. still just like putting his lungs through the car wash before they put it in somebody else and they're giving it a shine and a spit polish. And that's kind of what I was thinking too. Like, what if you could just take some lungs and now that if someone's dead already and he was like a tobacco smoker, extreme example, probably can't do this, but let's just say, like, you know, his lungs are all fucked up, but you, you have the lungs and they seem to work and it should be alive for another 30 years. You, like you said, almost throw them in a bag, attach them to a pig, give them a little Dawn soap in there, wash all the, wash all that tar off, 
give it some love, let yeah. it sit there for like three days, and then throw it on someone else, and it might be good as new, new engine. That's kind of cool. Built. I like that. They didn't say they could do the whole scrubby thing, just but I'm saying this is probably the first step into doing that. This kind of remind. I don't know why this story reminds me of Star Trek Voyager when Neelix got his lungs stolen and they gave him holographic lungs. Oh, I love but, that. Yeah, so. <laughs> I always but wondered okay, how that worked. About the, well, yeah, exactly. Like somehow they were. <laughs> well, I think they were in the pattern buffer. If you, if you, that's how that worked. Their devices were little teleporters, so then it was in the buffer. The lungs were in the buffer. You heard here first. Guess you don't know too much about Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, I thought you did. Guess not. Guess you Yes, not. It's proof, proof in right here. So, how they figured this? Uh, they uh, figured some of this stuff out. They had uh, six lungs that that were obtained by the team after being rejected for uh, transportation, and then uh, five of five of the lungs were put uh, attached to the pigs, and the sixth one was attached to the pig, but it wasn't immune suppressed, so basically didn't have anti-rejection drugs. Mm. So, obviously, the one pig started to break down immediately. It had fluid building up. And it just was all consistent with high, hyperacute rejection. But the other five lungs, even though they all have previously demonstrated injuries, the lungs showed significant improvement in cellular viability, tissue quality, inflammatory response, and respiratory function. Hmm. And then what really made it really crazy to these guys, they were like, uh, the damaged lung that failed the, basically, remember I told you about the weird fluid, oxygen fluid stuff that we currently have? Yes. One of the lungs failed that system it was basically almost like trash basically is what they're saying so and the so lung was bad lung, it was just not gonna ever be able to be used they they considered it damaged gotcha they didn't say trash but it's like it's damaged as if yeah what are you gonna do with it? it's damaged it's, it's fucked up and so this thing went in uh, this says jaw-dropping turnaround so it's been a total of 22 hours on ice this lung it received five hours of that weird oxygen stuff and after that, the right lung was accepted for transplant, but the left lung was simply too damaged. It had persistent swelling and fluid buildup. And everyone, uh, multiple uh, transplant centers turned it down. After 24 hours sharing the blood with a pig, the damaged lung started to show signs of repair, not full recovery, but a lot more than had been thought possible. And then this suggests that the researchers said that the cross-circulation platform could be used in conjunction with that EVLP thing we just talked about with the oxygen weird fluid to maybe save lungs before. It's kind of a high brain thing of saying what you just said, where it's like, we could basically take lungs, throw on a pig. It'll stay there for like maybe a day, maybe more. They only said 24 hours, maybe a little bit longer. And then they could keep it alive, keep it. And since it's alive longer, it has more time to repair itself and then be more likely to be used. Cause yeah, we, we've always said it before. The biggest thing with organ transplants is getting it from point A to point B. Yes. Which is, we can't do it. Like, versus this could be another way to get it there or keep it alive. Or, or if it's damaged, maybe repair it. I I think that is utterly fascinating. Um, I have lots of questions like, I assume the lugs are not in use, right? It's just a circulatory system attached to them. Uh, yeah, I doubt they're inflating. But again, I don't right. know. This is. Yeah, and so yeah. is it that action, the idea that, you know, if you um, if you get a cut and you stop playing with it, it's going to heal faster than if you were playing with it. So the idea that these lungs yeah, aren't in yeah. use, does that help them heal faster? Is that what's doing this? Because why aren't they healing in people? Well, I'd say in your analogy, almost to some level, too, like if you if you cut yourself, it's like giving it eight hours to heal versus giving it 24 hours to heal. What's it going to look like? One's going to look way better than than the other 
And then, yeah, well, I don't know why it's not healing people and stuff, but this is, I think it's more talking about healing stuff outside the body. So, so I think it's more extreme cases where people need lung transplants. And like, like I said, you're in the car crash and we're taking your lungs to, to Jimmy over there. But Jimmy lives 16 hours away. How do we get Jimmy's, Sean's lungs to Jimmy if he takes the A train for an hour? <laughs> Jimmy needs lungs. To a, <laughs> yeah, attaches it to a pig. But also their last thing on this is that um, they're hoping to maybe uh, figure out other ways to to do this with other organs, basically livers, hearts, kidneys. Yeah, that was going to be my next comment is, of course, if this works, then why wouldn't you just spruce up the other organs? It's like sending a maid in. It's like, let's reupholster this car before we sell it. For sure. Love no, it. it. Just, it's almost like, okay, think of it. I'm almost thinking of this way where if you're, got, if you're that dude who's like. I I you transport the heart in that little cooler. Uh-huh. Instead of transporting the cooler now, you have back to the valve, somehow head valve thing. You have a valve that you just like attach to a fluid thing, and then you yourself keep the heart alive through your own and the heart's just sitting there like the, the, For those who the, can't the, see the, what Max yeah. is doing, he's he's pantomiming a valve coming out of his jugular and yes. and then he's pumping a heart in his hand in front of his in front of his face, in a so baggy, a Ziploc baggy. The heart's there, and I don't think you have to pump it per se. Maybe it's pumping itself. You just <laughs> you just drive along to whatever, and then you go and give it to the doctor the Ziploc. And he goes thanks, and then this thing's like it's it's like basically fresh off the line. You're not a pig though. Oh oh, hey, thanks for reminding me. Actually, I forgot to mention this. They they're thinking they can do this with humans too. <laughs> oh my gosh. Because oh uh, yeah, here it is. Is um <laughs> another option is that the human recipients themselves could potentially become the basis for the cross circulation plat yeah cross circulation platform being attached to the lungs they themselves will receive. Like you ah, might be sitting there healing wow. your lung, healing the lungs that are go- that are gonna go into you. That's cool because that's a form of um I'm sure that helps with rejection and everything too. It's like acclimating Probably. a goldfish you're about to release into your uh, tank. You know you got to let it sit I'm, there in the water. For sure. <laughs> So speaking of uh, organic fluid suspension and whatnot, I've got a story here about um, tractor beams. Really? Ooh, yeah. Tractor ones or real life ones? Real life ones. Okay. <laughs> so this is a a light based tractor beam, and um, these things have been around since the seventies. And what it is is it's essentially a laser that they uh, shoot at something at a nanoscale level we're talking something uh the size of one one hundredth the width of a piece of paper so okay that's pretty that's pretty thin yeah pretty small um that's my dick that's my dick yeah exactly <laughs> i want to yeah, say yeah. okay come on come on um perfect setup there these things have been around since the 70s, but what makes this new one so special is like i said in the beginning uh this organic fluid so they've devised a way to to use this technology, this tractor beam technology, with something suspended in organic fluid. Now, what makes and by tractor beam that means you're basically saying they're pulling something toward themselves via this laser, yes, at a nanoscale, yes, and it's better in a fluid. Yeah. So uh, what makes the fluid so special is that it opens up their um, possibilities for different materials. Before. In this, okay. with this technology, we would have to use it in a vacuum or um, uh, like a pure, like water or whatnot solution. Well, vacuum is the ultimate it's for space, right? 
Yeah, but so again, like that that limited the materials you could use. Okay, okay. And so with uh with this one, what they've done is by modulating the frequency, they could grab an object. Star Trek, Star Trek. <laughs> Modulate the frequency, okay. They could grab an object, move it, release the object, and then by combining different materials, they were a- they were able to solder these different objects together. For for dum dums who don't know what that means, you mean like you kind of lasered them like is that what you do with microchips and stuff? You solder metal together or is that welding? No, well, yeah, okay. So uh soldering is, I guess, if you want to say a really, really small scale light version of Weld? welding. Yeah. So what you're doing with okay. soldering is you're just heating two ends and then you're using a um a uh soldering um metal to uh melt between mm-hmm. the two ends and join the circuit. That's what so it's not only a tractor beam, they can also kind of like tractor in a solder. Well, so what they did was they used a germanium ro- nano rods, and then on the end of it, they had a bismuth we all know. cap. Mm-hmm. So a uh, a little sprinkle of bismuth, and then the laser would react with the bismuth. <laughs> a little sprinkle of bismuth to get your shit going. And um, they would put two germanium rods together and then use the bismuth to uh, weld them together, forming just a, a larger structure. So this tractor being, just to make sure, this is all still like on the nano scale, you said, like there's nothing like, it's yes. not moving Legos, it's, not, it's moving particles of dust or something? Yeah, yeah, totally. Or actually probably smaller than that, smaller than dust. Very much so. Okay, okay. That's so, still cool, I mean, you, you gotta do that before you can do the other stuff. Well, exactly, and what makes this fun is, uh, it not only did it open up the uh, range of materials, but uh, it can be used, like if they refine the process, it can be used as a sustainable form of additive manufacturing. And, uh, you know, we always talk about building nanobots and uh, all sorts of stuff that's going to comb our blood and clean our systems out from our hedonistic lifestyles. And so this might be a better oh, way of building those things. That might have to be your quote. I love that. <laughs> that's for sure. I would love that. Yeah. So I thought this was fun because I love additive manufacturing. And for those of you who don't know, additive manufacturing is uh, essentially all of our manufacturing techniques right now. It's uh, if you have a mold and you pour hot metal into the mold to form your uh, your brake calibers or whatever, that that's mm-hmm. additive manufacturing. My 3D printer across the room from me right now, that's additive manufacturing as opposed to subtractive manufacturing, which is what – how like Michelangelo created the David, you know, you just have a big block and you carve uh, it away. So what would it be? Cause uh, my desk broke it today. Like one of the four legs broke off and I, I basically punched it back into place with little pegs, but it's really loose. Is that additive <laughs> or subtractive? Uh, I, uh, so your leg but is I, still I, loose. I, I just, basically I, I, like my past this little, I went to the right and the whole leg just like, chinked off but since there's so much structure it didn't like fall over so i just kind of slammed it back into place and the pressure's keeping it there and i feel like i designed this i don't know i'm just being stupid obviously but is that additive or subtractive did i subtract it because it clunked off or did i add it to it because i put it back that'd be additive that'd be added yeah because you added I'm to a the designer, structure bro. <laughs> i knew it I knew it. <laughs> Manufacturer man and part of the thing i liked about this is they called uh this technology optical tweezers i thought that was fun Oh, that is cool. Little light yeah. tweezers. Little light tweezers. tweezers. Yeah, this uh, it came out of the researchers at the yep. University of Washington, for those who are wondering. Perfect. 
actually, my story comes out from the University of Rochester. I almost didn't write. I've started to like wonder if I should write that all the time, but we should give them their dues. So yeah. <laughs> so um, this uh, there's gonna be a video following this, so I'll give out the link on our Instagram. So follow that if you can. And I'm gonna have the guys watch this really quick, but I'm gonna tell you everything about it, guys. And so they are. So it's no big deal if you don't see it. But uh, basically, uh, the University of Rochester researchers they have found a way of using sunlight to evaporate and purify contaminated water with greater than 100% proficiency using current technology. Uh, okay. So, I mean, that doesn't necessarily surprise me. How contaminated are we talking here? Any type of contaminated water. Actually, going into this uh, topic, it was kind of interesting because there was a, there was um, something they mentioned that I thought was really cool about uh, this thing was getting stuff so clean that it was basically the World Health Organization, the levels that you're allowed to have, this thing was well below those levels. Wow. Because, I mean, the current method is you like you take a beaker of water, you boil it, and then you have some sort of catch at the top that would funnel it down into another vessel, and that would get rid of your your like solid contaminants, but that's not going to do much for radiation or, you know, I don't know what other uh, poisons could boil off with the water and go into the other vessel, so... I'm I curious. didn't necessarily read anything about radiation, and so I'm not sure if radiated water this will help. I mean, I guess it, oh, I've never thought about a radiated water. How you clean that? That's, I don't know. You just you saying that kind of blew my mind. Um, I, this article was talking about how boiling water doesn't eliminate heavy metals or some oh, other contaminants. Okay, so what you just described, maybe if you it sounds like you you collected the, the mist or the vapor. Yeah, exactly. Your, and this is kind of what this is all about too. Is this is all about the vapor. So again, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it, and then I want you guys to watch the video, and then we'll all come back for a second, and then we'll all be experts, so we can explain to the audience really well. I think this thing's really cool. I think it's really, really cool. And what really got me onto it is it uses a femtosecond laser pulse. <gasps> femtosecond laser pulses. We love those around here. Thank you. I, I was hoping that would be a trigger for you. Can you? This is your test now. I remember one of my topics, but I swear ah. we did like another femto thing too. I can't even remember already. But we've talked. We've mentioned femtosecond laser pulses at least three or four times now on this sh- on this current show, which is like our fourteen, fifteen episode. Um, one of them was the Superman one. The Superman on on the quartz piece of metal. They were using the femtosecond laser to create voxels, oh. and then you put that in a machine oh, and yeah, do the whole yeah. movie. I remember. And th- then the other one, I can't quite remember, but it was some the same thing. Like I that. remember the other one. It was um, using a femtosecond laser to transmit energy across like twenty yards to another mm. tower. You know, they beamed energy, and it was um, you know a really effective and long range method to beam energy. Femtosecond laser. Yeah, these things are the shit. <laughs> apparently, can we get one? Can you get one of those? I want a femtosecond laser. Here's what these guys did. Oh, it was funny. When you watch the video, the guy's name is Chun-Li. So just let you know. From Pawn Stars? What? No, Street Fighter. What the fuck are you talking about? Oh, I thought uh, Chun-Li. Chun-Li, not Chun-Li. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) Chun-Li. I was seriously like, what are you talking about? But I have a mush mouth. I understand. (laughs) Chun-Li. That's fucking hilarious. Um, I'm probably being really racist toward him i'm sorry sir i'm not like but his name is chun lee so, so it's funny but uh, you know if i have offended someone sorry but it really is um so anyway here's what he discovered actually um so with a burst of femtosecond laser pulses they etch the surface of a normal sheet of aluminum and by doing that it creates a super wicking um, super energy absorbing material it basically turns the material black and what is super wicking you know well what is wicking sean you know what wicking is tell the audience 
uh, I think you do wicking. I I assumed it, it like wicking is like when you're. Uh, I guess the the closest thing I'm and relating trans- it to is uh, and with wiki. Oh, oh the, I'm totally okay. lost. Then I have no idea. It's like it's like you your your clothes wick off water. They they repel yes. water. Yes, it's like a spreading. Wicking basically means you're spreading things away, kind of from the origin. Okay. So by using the femtosecond lasers and they're putting this on the aluminum, they create a super wicking material. Yeah. And Sam- how super wicking is this? It's John Wick level shit. Where basically, if you put a water, <laughs> I was saving that. If you put a water at the bottom of the material, it will fight even gravity, and the water will just spread up on the material. Fascinating. Which is really cool. It's really cool. But why is that important? Even though I was like, yeah, it's cool. But how could you use that? Well, that's where the sunlight comes in. Where it's a flat piece of metal that's always facing the sun, and it'll be like a little reservoir of water at the bottom, and then the super wicking material will just spread it along the panel above gravity uh-huh. and then since it's so thin that basically the sun helps it evaporate that much faster so it's a very efficient evaporation system where it's going to be constantly drawing the water up against gravity the sun's going to evaporate it they collect the water and then the residue sticks on the panels or whatever they're saying but you could just hose it down all right i, I gotta watch the video i gotta see this water yeah, we're gonna watch the video gravity. and then i want to i want to describe it to the audience so they really get how i think this is fucking awesome a few minutes later and yeah, we just watched that video, and even though I pretty much kind of described it, I think Sean's always good at describing stuff. And Mr. E, you watched it too, so anything I missed, I want the audience to kind of get the idea how, I think this is a, one of the coolest things we've even talked about, honestly, because as you, as you saw, I mentioned maybe even purifying salt water and stuff, but how would you describe it to the audience? Kind of? Yeah, it was just like you said, a, um, it's interesting that the femtosecond laser took this gray aluminum and once it etched into it, it created this black surface that was able to wick the water upward. And the black surface itself would just absorb more heat. I was thinking, I forgot about mentioning that, but yeah, since it's a black piece of metal now, it absorbs more heat. But Mr. E off air, you said uh, desalinization, which, yes. I mean, that is the key function of this thing. That is crazy. Sure. Yeah, I mean, obviously the the metals and all the poisons and stuff, the impurities we want out. But I mean, I think for a day-to-day basis, as far as just pure survival, I mean, desalinization, or that'd be the the most practical use, I would think. Right, because our current methods are very clunky and expensive and uh, just... Time-consuming. Yeah, not practical. For sure. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm almost surprised they didn't start with that. That was the very Absolutely. last bit of the video. Like, and by the way, it can also desalinate. Bye. Like, what? Yeah. Like, that's really important. I'm guessing. Because, if, yeah, if you're just boiling water and collecting the vapor, it doesn't really matter if it's salt, right? Because the salt just stays behind. I'd be interested to know how sturdy this pattern is that's etched into the metal. Uh, because no. if it is desalinating the water, then the salt should be left on the panel, right? And so it'll probably need some maintenance to get the salt off there. But what kind of um, maintenance can you get in this panel if its engraving is too soft? That's funny you mentioned that because this article did mention that the available wicking materials that we currently have quickly become clogged with contaminants. And that's why this thing's kind of good because they said you could just rinse it off with a hose. Especially <laughs> because it's at an angle. I think it says it's at an angle and all the contaminants are there. You just rinse it off with a hose. That just goes right back into the water. But who cares? You're just going to be just you know evaporating it anyway then eventually change that water out and probably maybe the tank more but this thing is just a piece of metal that's what's cool about it's not like an electric thing it's not it's 
just a piece of metal at the end of the day, kind of, even though I guess there's an electric moving it always toward the sun, but this is like some really cool just technology, I feel. Yeah. No, okay, so yeah. I think it's fascinating that uh do you remember my story um a few episodes ago about they used a it might have been a femtosecond laser to etch into a metal Probably. to create a floating metal? Yeah. The that the, sounds very familiar to me. The pattern it made like a bu- it made a bunch of like bubbles in it kind of. Yeah, the pattern on the metal was able to hold on to air as it yeah. went underwater, thus making it buoyant. And there were some other caveats to it, but point being, yeah. uh, these patterns, these micro patterns that we're etching into metals now, fascinating. Are creating big effects. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that bubble technology. That'd be cool. Like, what if you had an Iron Man suit, but you just, you spent a second, it'd be ultimate wicking and had the bubbles in it. So you'd be underwater and it'd be, you'd probably go through smoothly and <laughs> go back up. And and then once you're in the sunlight, you just like all like steams away in two seconds and you just like keep go about your business the the fact that it said it changes the chemical bond i thought was super cool yeah that was another thing i thought was kind of really in depth where it really it said that's why it's under current technologies it's better than 100 efficiency because somehow it i don't know yeah changes the chemical bond and it, it helps it evaporate even faster than normal that's crazy which is i know it's like what the fuck the applications are endless for that. I mean, I hope so. Think of some. I can't think of any besides that. I'm... Well, yeah, the desalinization. PEP um, on it. This is the water world technology. Oh, there you go. Can it can it remove urea and it said uh, urine. asparagus? It said urine. It did said it? Ur- <laughs> it did say urine because it can remove. Give me one second. Detergents, dyes, urine, heavy metals, and glycerin. The Dude. safe levels world way below World Health Organization standards. That's this thing's like cool. even better than like your faucet type of deal. Its only drawback is it probably takes a while. I'll just say it, there has to be a drawback where yep we can only do it or I don't know I guess it's just you're collecting how long does it take to collect water vapor? I don't know. Well, I don't know about if it's about collecting water vapor. I think it's the uh, how much heating. per day or because mm-hmm. you're you're limited to uh, the surface area of the aluminum. And then you're yeah. also limited to the uh, availability of the sun. And so if you, True. I guess if you wanted to take this thing camping, you know, how, how big would you need it to be in order to be efficient at, I don't know, uh, processing a, uh, a liter of your pee or half a liter or a quarter liter, whatever the average pee amount like, is. How would you turn this into like a personal use? Because right now this is almost like an industrial thing where you'd have to have like a water farm, you know, practically to make, I mean, make use of it, even though it's still really efficient. Yeah. How would you do this personally? Yeah, I I don't necessarily know. I mean, I guess it it would involve a panel and constantly wicking and getting (laughs) that, constantly wicking and constantly collecting that wicked material, that uh, condensation, and then just how much condensation... I mean, this, like I said, it, it did change the molecular bond, so this happens faster than normal. So it's not – we're probably thinking with our own unwicked brains where if you put like a like a plate of water in the sun, how, how long would that take to evaporate? This thing was kind of designed to evaporate. It just spreads that stuff out, evaporates, spreads right. it out, evaporates. It, it's really fast. I mean – I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how fast it is. But, but I could see – It never mentioned any like collection, like it, one gallon per – this but i could see by that logic 
the idea that if the water is spread so thin, then it would be easier to evaporate uh, despite, you know, the kind of intensity of the sun that we're looking for when we put a pool of water out and expect it to evaporate. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, fascinating. Anything else? Any other top? Any other uh, thoughts on That's that? That's pretty much it on that. Oh. Like, it, but it, what, what was this stuff called? Uh, Did they have a name for it? Because usually most uh, of these come really, with really cool names. I didn't really get like a, a cool name. It's just a femtosecond laser pulse on a piece of aluminum. It's almost like an Chun-Li idea. Waterwick. I know. His name was Chun-Li Guao or something it said. So it was, his first name was Chun-Li, then it was Guao. I think it said Guao. Uh, sorry, Chun-Li Guao, if I get your name wrong. No, but, I like um, the, it was uh, his idea. So. The Chun-Li Waterwick. That's kind of fun. It's from his laboratory. It's from his laboratory. So, uh, all credit to Chun-Li. But yeah, Chun-Li. <laughs> that's what I know. Chun-Li's metal. That's what I'm going to call it. Chun-Li metal. All right. Before I launch into the game for this episode, I have a quick... Uh, I should have brought this up at the top of it, but here we are. So... Um, in the past couple episodes, we've talked a lot about the Earth and meteor showers and comets and uh, all yeah. sorts of – we're going through um, what they call Fireball the – Fireball database. Yeah, the Fireball database. We're, we're going through what they call the Delta oh – God, Delta Aquarius uh, meteor shower <laughs> right now. Oh, God. Okay. The world's ending again. <laughs> I know. Take a shot, everyone. We're about to die. No, no, no. This is quite different. Quite different. Um, the only reason I bring this up is because uh, this the past week. The universe is ending. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This past week in July, uh, like, you know, uh, 15th through the 18th, sometime around there, uh, the Neowise comet passed by the Earth, and it was able to be seen with the naked eye uh, by Canada and northern U.S. residents early in the evening sky. Okay. So you could see it in the atmosphere and a big trail and everything. It looked bitching. There's tons of pictures on it. and um, But if you missed that one, there's some other upcoming events. Uh, one of those is the... Oh, I missed it, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. It's the oh the peak of this uh, Delta Aquarius meteor shower that we're experiencing right now. The peak will be on the twenty eighth of July and twenty eighth night and the twenty ninth days morning. from now. Yeah, a couple days from now. So before this, after this episode's airs, you'll still oh, yeah. be able to see it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then even then, after that, uh, on. August 11th through August 12th, there's the Perseids meteor shower, which is supposed to be a better meteor shower than the one coming up on the 28th. In an episode of Stargate, they, uh, the residents of a planet they called meteor showers fire rain. Ooh. Yeah, little factoid. I know you're, you keep asking me to tell you Stargate facts, so I've been trying to do it. I do. I, I know eventually we're going to have a Stargate quiz. You're going to you know lose your balls off, but so I'm trying to help you out. Well, speaking of quizzes, uh, let's take a short break here and come back with the real one. With the real one. Let's take a short break and come back with a... <laughs> uh, uh, I liked it. Oh, I like that. I was like, hey, this guy, he's thinking, of, like, hey, speaking of... All right. Well, we edited out it. all the goddamn technical difficulties of this episode, so... That's crazy to us. Usually, they, That's usually gold. <laughs> let's just keep We didn't that. know it was going to keep happening. All right. We'll see you in a minute. That's so funny. Much, much, much later. And we're back from the break here. Uh... So I told you guys off air that this was a game that all of us could play, right? You remember that? I yep. okay. recall that. Uh, that was a dirty lie. <sighs> and what this game actually is... Every, every time it happens and every time I'm stabbed in the heart. So the game I have for you today is the Naruto quiz because you guys claim to be big anime <laughs> fans. Up. 
No way. So I put together a Naruto quiz. Oh, wow. I'm Wabi. Let's go for it. Let's see. Dude, it's funny. Okay, just a backstory. I actually watched Naruto. I know. I actually watched Naruto and I'm almost done. I still have like maybe 80 episodes left of the whole show. I've talked to Mr. E about it. He has friends to talk to him about it. He is, he somehow intrinsically knows a lot, but he's never seen it. Are you serious? Yeah. I'm psyched. I I bet you'll probably do well. I bet you knowing your questions. We'll see. Was this supposed to be a My Hero Academia quiz? Is that what it should have been? Oh, dude, because he knows that like the back of his hand, and I know it too, but not as good as he does. Oh, man. (laughs) I've never seen Naruto. I've never seen Naruto. I bet you'll be fine. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I like where your head was at, though. I mean, no. Uh, it's the funniest thing uh, you said that. Like you're right. You it should have been my hero. That's what it was. Because, but I, I, I mean, we have to take the quiz now. <laughs> <laughs> we have to let's call someone because, like, Mr. E, at least he's better than someone who's never seen it. He's seen like he hasn't seen it, but he has friends. Like every time I talk to him, he's like, "Oh yeah, I heard about that." So he's heard about, yeah, little details here and there. There's 900 episodes here. Who knows nothing about it? <laughs> Like, we have like I'm not even an expert, but I'm an expert for you guys. Oh and my then we have like God. medium, and then just complete not like nothing. All right, I'll give you I'll give you two lifelines, Mister E. Okay. <laughs> Question number one: Get your pieces of paper ready and pencils. Is this like a speed thing, or no. just like just whoever gets it first? Okay, cool. Th- this is a multiple is choice. Multiple yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh right. my God. Question number one. What is Naruto's last name? Oh, you're fucked. Oh, you might know. Is <laughs> you it, know that one? Is it A, Uzumaki, B, Minatoa, or Min- Minato, C, Hesegawa, D, doesn't have one. So, by the way, I'm going to butcher all of these. So. I know. Like, it's funny. Those, like, that. <laughs> you should pronounce them Uzumaki, Minato. Um, the other one Hasagawa and doesn't have Hasag- one no, All right. no, 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 yeah. are you guys locked in? yes alright <laughs> number two which of these people have been Hokaga Hokagi the most Hokagi <laughs> is it A Hashirama Hashirama Senju Hashirama. <laughs> is it B Kakashi Hataki is Kakashi. it C Hiruzen Sarabuti. Saratobi, that's it. Or is it D? Saratobi. Or is it D? Sunday. Sunude. Sunad. Sunade. It's not that one. (laughs) (laughs) Who's been the Kage the most? Yes. Uh, Actually, I'm not quite sure. I mean, I haven't finished it yet, so I'd say that. Okay. All right, number three. There might be some hope. I mean, I don't know either. What's the name of the leader of the toads? <laughs> okay, no, okay. I mean, I, I can maybe get this. Like, uh, <laughs> Mr. E, you look so defeated. <laughs> Why am I even here? Mr. E sucks at anime. I just want it to be known. You've got, <laughs> you've got anime quiz we ever had. You've got two lifelines, my friend. This quiz I get to play. I don't know. <laughs> Of what anime he's never seen of like the 50 he's seen you guys talk about that shit all the time i thought it was I it do, and I, I mean i mentioned him about it keep going keep going keep all right what's the name this, of the what's the name of the leader of the toads 
Is it A, Wise Frogmaster, B, Great Toad Sage, C, Giant Toad King, or D, Master Frogo? Okay, lock in your answers. Hey, I can give him a hint because I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if it's B or C. <laughs> I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, all right, question number four. Which of these is not one of Naruto's specialties? Is it A, Shadow Clone Jutsu? Is it B, Chidori? Is it C, Sexy No Jutsu? Jutsu? Jutsu. Or is it D, Rasengan? And it's which one is not his specialty? Correct. See, you got this. You got this. Number five. Who gave Naruto the eight tetragram seal? Is it? I write these down. I don't need the fucking. This is A. Minato Namkazi. <laughs> is it B. Madara Uchiha? Is it C. Urachim Aru? Or is it D. Jiraiya? <laughs> Oh, you're right. That's who. <laughs> Even I was like, you butchered it so much. I'm like, who? <laughs> and then what's the last one? I'm sorry. <laughs> Jiraiya. Jiraiya? Oh. Jiraiya. Okay. Is, okay, is A, Aaron here? It's, like, it's, like, it's only because I'm like, I don't, I can't pronounce shit worth shit either, but like, I've always, I've watched the show so often that I know who he's saying, but it's, it's like saying like, loose ski wick. It's like, it was Luke Skywalker, you fucking bitch. Only because I've heard it so much. So that's why it's funny. No offense I'm, taken. Like, you're, you're doing really good. Like I said, I'd like to, don't, right. no discouragement. Number six. Is Naruto the three tails? Yes or no? Dude, a lot of these mystery knows, actually. I'm ready. All right. Number seven. Who has performed the shadow clone technique the least amount of times out of these following right. people? Is it okay. A? Minato Namakaz. Namakaz. Is it B? Sasuke Uchina. Is it C? Hiruzen. No, no, no. Who? Is it C? Hiruzen. Okay. Okay. Sasuke Uchina. Or is it C? Hiruzen Sarutobi. Or is it D? Naruto Uza. Maki. <laughs> <laughs> Which just spoiled the answer for number one. I know. <laughs> you should, you should, I know. You should be. You should, I saw that same shit. I'm like, I, I thought that. Then I'm like, dude, you should be fucking Regis filming on something like uh, for the million dollars. Oh my God. Is it A? Na, uto, uzuma, ki, uh, B. Minute, to, All right. Are you guys locked in? Are you guys locked in? Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is it? No, okay. Number eight. Who was the first to die in the legendary Sanin? Is it A? Sonin. What? Did I say that wrong? Sanin. Sanin. Okay. So who was the first to right. die in the legendary Sanin? Is it A? <laughs> Jiraiya. Jiraiya? Is it yeah. B? Tsunade. Is it C, Uruchimaru? Is it D, Minato? I feel like Sean's learned the most about Naruto <laughs> this whole thing. Like throughout the, throughout the whole quiz, he's like pronouncing it better. <laughs> okay, I'm good. Okay. Number nine. 
Who is the creator of Akatsuki? Akatsuki. Oh, Akatsuki. Okay. Is it this one? A. Itachi. B. Kasami. C. Madara. D. Uruchimaru. That's kind of a hard one because sometimes you don't know like their name, you know. Uh, okay. I will okay. tell you this one is uh, valued lower. So all of these, I took a page out of Mysteries, Mysteries, and all of these oh. are randomly assigned point values. So I like that. And this is on the lower end of the spectrum. All right. Last question number ten. Who took the cursed mark off Susuke? Is it A. Naruto? B. Itachi, C. Sakura, or D. Kakashi. Okay, I'm in. All right, got it. All right. Let me see here. Okay, so starting at number one, and uh, the answer to what is Naruto's last name is Uzumaki, as we all uh, yep. saw in question number seven or something. That one was worth seven points. And was that option A? That was Uzumaki. Correct. Yes, Uzumaki okay. number A. Or, uh, and some of these I wrote down the name, some of them I did the letter. Okay, I'll read both. Uh, number two, which of these people have been Hokage the most? The answer was C, Hurizen Sarutobi. That was worth four points. Actually, I got that wrong. Number three, what's the name of the leader of the Toads? The answer was B, Great Toad Sage. That was, was B worth, or C, I wasn't sure. I wrote B, though. That was worth six points. Number four, which of these is not one of Naruto's specialties? The answer was Chidori. No, that was B, Chidori. And that was worth three points. Uh, number five, who gave Naruto the eight tetragram, tetragram Jesus, seal? Uh, the answer was A, Minato Namakaze. And that was worth ten points. Uh, six is Naruto the three tails. The answer is no, and this is worth one point. That's a one point question. Uh, seven, who has performed the shadow clone <laughs> technique the least amount of times? Uh, the answer is C, Hiruzen Sarutobi. Okay. Uh, eight, who was the first to die in the legendary Sanin? What was the point? What was how much was that worth the last one? Oh, I'm sorry, that was worth uh five points. Okay. All right, eight. Who was the first to die in the legendary <laughs> Sanin? The answer was C. Uruchimaru. Uruchimaru. What? C. Uruchimaru. What? According to my quiz, that's the answer. Is it kind of uh, that was oh, worth yeah, eight okay. points, and I, got, I won't take any. I got that wrong actually. <laughs> No, dude, I gathered right. questions from all over the place, and some of these were fan-made with poor grammar and whatnot, and so I can't so vouch I for the I mean, uh, accuracy I of these the math, But I mean, that's, you're probably right. All right, number nine. I think it is. Who was the creator of Akatsuki? Akatsuki. Yep, that's what I said. C, Yep. Madara was the answer. That was worth two points. Well, I got that wrong, too. Uh, it is. Yeah. See, I watched the damn show. I don't even know. <laughs> and number 10, who took the cursed mark this... off Sasuke? This is worth nine points. I couldn't remember. And the answer is B, Itachi. Yes. I got that too, though. 
All right, um, I do have some tiebreakers here, but uh, what are the scores out there? What are we What are we looking at? Let's go I'm with. At, uh, let's see. I got nineteen. So seven and three is ten, and then nine is nineteen plus one is twenty. I got twenty six. Okay. Now forty one. Is that even possible? Okay. <laughs> I got forty one. <laughs> okay. Uh, I miss. I miss nine. Eight and two. Dude, I feel terrible. Questions. I spent a lot of stupid time you on this game, and you it should have been. You should feel horrible. Hey, and I got five out of ten, so it's whatever. No, I think he did really well. Half this question, but he actually should know this. As I say, you did better um, than me at the space one, and that's all we talk about here. So, yeah. <laughs> right. nah. Mr. E, I think he's going to just one day sign Finally, have his revenge, and then he's going to do some type of movie that he's known. <laughs> I mean, the Star Wars quiz, frankly, you're already talking for that, right? Game. Events that have happened in Max's house only. In <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> All oh my god! The anti Sean quiz. <laughs> All right. Well. Uh, that was the episode. Be sure to join us next time when we uh, tell you all about how Mister E kicked his gumball addiction. It's true. Next time on Better Than Most Things. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on Better Than Most Things. Please keep in mind we are enthusiasts, not experts. If you want to know more about the topics we discussed here, we encourage you to research them for yourself. Let us know if we miss anything. And as always, submit your questions or interesting topics to our Discord. For all the latest updates, subscribe to our Twitter. Instagram at btmt underscore podcast and please rate subscribe on your podcast app.